Hey, aloha, everybody. This is Jeff Reimel. This is the 25th edition. Oh, Mike, wait a second now. What am I saying? 85th edition. <laughs> you think I'm not tired from all this football? You have a full, you have a full chef to have you tonight, Jeff. I don't, I don't know what yeah, to do. Yeah, I do. I, got, you're right. But uh, it's great to have everybody with us. Uh, what a weekend of games and still got another one ahead of us coming coming tonight. Um, tell me, have you ever seen a more perfect game than the Bills played offensively in that game, Michael? Look, I, I don't want to call out certain teams here, but there was a thing this morning about Patrick Mahomes scored five touchdowns last night. Josh Allen had basically a perfect game. I mean, the man done no wrong. So, yes, it was amazing for Mahomes, but I've never seen a performance like that. Albeit, though, Jeff, I don't think New England left Boston Logan Airport. My God, and do you know what? I'm just, I'm just gonna call it and say, it and and you can trash me for saying it, Jeff, because I I have kept to myself for two days, and I'm gonna talk about this in about an hour or so. But if that was any other team, with any other coach, there would be a lot more talk about it today. Uh, Josh Allen was incredible, though. I, I have to give it to him, and I can't wait for this game at the weekend. It's gonna be a hell of a game. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, you talk about a perfect game, and in baseball, perfect game is you know the pitcher gets everybody out, all 27 batters, so nine innings out. And um, that's a really, really rare feat and happens maybe once a year in, in professional baseball with all the games they play. But Allen had more touchdown passes than he had incompletions in an NFL game. Five touchdown passes, four incompletions. They never had a longer third down situation than third and four in the entire game. I mean, it was just incredible against the Bill Belichick defense. It's just almost, you know, almost defies description, really. I mean, it's really, really an amazing, amazing effort by the Bills. And certainly they're built to go in and, and uh, handle those Chiefs. I think it's going to be a great game this weekend at Narrowhead. Hey, uh, we talked all the time about having some friends on this week uh, just to take a peek at the NFL and their their NFL experiences well today Raiders Nation you gotta be you gotta be listening because we have got uh, Robin Ross who coached linebackers for Coach Gruden and in his first trip through uh, Oakland when they were the Oakland Raiders is just about ready to join us Robin is a football lifer a tremendous coach and a uh, guy that's uh, got a, his own football journey is really a crazy and unique one. So welcome to the show, Robin Ross. Thank you, Jeff. Great being here. Hey, now, I'm going to start you off this way, right? You're, you're a kid that's growing up in Southern California and go to junior college. You're highly recruited offensive lineman out of junior college and make the decision to spurn the, you know, the probably more high-profile programs that were recruiting you in in the Pac-8. Was it at Pac-8 or Pac-10 at that time? Pac-8. In the Pac-8 to go north and play for Jim Sweeney at Washington State University. Why in the world? You could have gone to Cal. You could have gone to some other places, and you chose Washington State. Well, you know, it was all about the fit. You know, Coach Sweeney, could uh, he could sell uh, you know ice cream to Eskimos. You know, he was really good. It was a good fit all the way around. I had an ex-teammate from junior college that was already in school up there. And by being uh, heavily recruited, you know, and 
traveling around the country. At that time, it's funny because uh, visits were unlimited. So I took 10 trips. I went all over the country, you know, looking at schools and you hear so many things and you get to the point where you really don't know what to believe. And so I had a, a teammate up there. I had another teammate going there. They run the same offense. So it really came down to I felt like it was the best fit for me. And Berkeley at that time had a little different philosophy going, uh, <laughs> you know, back in the early 70s. So it was just a good fit for me to go to Washington State. All right. Now, you, you played for Sweeney, who's a legendary coach. And, um, you know, and, and on some, on some, you know, good Washington State teams and played against some fantastic USC teams at that time. What was it like when you go down and play in the Coliseum against the Trojans? Well, being from Southern California, you know, that was always a big thing, playing in the Coliseum and going down there. And I remember um, it was my uh, senior year, we're playing USC. And I was going against Gary Jeter, who was a, you know, all-American defensive lineman, I think from his sophomore year on. And, you know, it was just a great experience going there. And I actually had a brother that uh, went to school at USC. So, you know, there was a little bit more uh, uh, anticipation as far as going down there and playing. And it was always a great experience, you know. And we'd hang in there, didn't beat USC. But, uh, you know, they had great teams there. They're national championship teams. And, uh, you know, uh, that was one of the things that attracted me to Washington State was the teams that we played. We played Ohio State in the uh, preseason. We played Illinois in the preseason. Back my junior year, we played, uh, I think we played Ohio State, who was number one. We played uh, USC, who was number two in the nation. And Ohio State was, uh, you know, Woody Hayes was the head coach. And we actually played him in Seattle, which that was the largest stadium in the state of Washington at that time. So, you know, I look back at the experiences, you know, we didn't win as many games you want to win, but it still gets down to the experience. And uh, I think all of the teammates and uh, the things that you you go through that really made it a valuable experience for me. Robin, you get drafted, and but the draft was a completely different situation than it is today. There was no, you know, green room. There was no taking the top prospects to New York City or wherever the draft is and all of it. How did you find out that you were drafted and what position were you drafted? Well, you know, it was funny because it was there. There weren't any workouts. You'd get a few phone calls from some teams that would ask about you, you know, where are you going to be on draft day and that type of thing. And then I remember the draft was going on, but it wasn't any big deal. You couldn't even find it on the radio to listen to the draft. So you just kind of waited for the phone call to ring, you know, for the phone to ring. So I remember I was back down in Southern California when the draft was going on and, uh, you know, nothing happened the first day. So I'm checking the paper because, you know, there's no Internet. There's no other way to you know get updated. So I'm uh, checking the newspaper and there's I think they had the first seven rounds or whatever. And, you know, that year, I think we went 17 rounds in the draft. So uh, all of a sudden, the second day I get a call about that 630 in the morning Pacific time. And I get a call from uh, the 49ers and they said they drafted me in the 10th round. So that's how I found out. Uh, Monty Clark was the head coach. He called, talked to him. He put the offensive line coach on. Uh, Dick Enright was the offensive line coach. And uh, he had actually tried to recruit me to Oregon coming out of junior college. So I knew him a little bit. And then uh, they said, you know, they'll be back in touch. And it was funny, Jeff, you talk about change of the times. 
one of the last things uh, Dick Enright told me, he said, we're going to have a mini camp in a month. And he goes, make sure you have a haircut by then. <laughs> All right. Now, this is kind of a cool story because I remember you and I had talked about this at one point. You ended up as a 10th round draft choice. You ended up holding out with the, with, with the 49ers, correct? Yeah, you know, what was interesting, the 49ers at the time, and the money was not even close to what it is now, but the 49ers at the time were really looking to sell the club, which I found out later. So uh, when we started negotiating contracts, they said they had no money for a 10th round choice. And, you know, at that time, you got your, uh, your contract was $250 a week room and board, or $200 a week room and board. And uh, then if you made the team, they said, we'll give you a $10,000 bonus. And then the contract was like 28, uh, was 26, 28, $30,000 for a three-year contract. So uh, when they told me there was no signing bonus and you're going to spend the summer in camp making $200 a week, I had a better job than that working at a cardboard factory in the city of industry. So it was like, I thought this was professional football. And so we went back and forth with that. And then uh, finally, uh, you know, we just couldn't come to terms. I, had, I got an agent involved with it and he couldn't get anything from him. So finally, when I wasn't going to report to camp, they said they would give me $500 for a reporting bonus. So I said, well, I think I'll pass on that and wound up uh, finally getting my release. And then the, the Seahawks wound up picking me up and I wound up uh, going to the Seahawk camp, and I was there for uh, the preseason for four preseason games. And you got to remember, back at that time, we actually played six preseason games. So you know, on a twenty-game schedule, and the the camp was forever. I remember going twenty-two straight days, a double sessions before we played our first preseason game, the first of six. So it was uh, Jack Patera was the head coach, and I tell you what, he was a Vince Lombardi, and it was a tough camp to go through. All right. Now, fans, if you want to get a chance to talk to Robin about his experiences in pro football and, and coaching with uh, Al Davis and John Gruden with the Raiders, get in with us. Um, Robin, you know, <laughs> you mentioned how different camp was in those days, right? How many up downs? If he was a Vince Lombardi guy, how many up downs do you think you did? Well, it all depended on what kind of mood he was in. You know, if he was in a good mood, you might do 10 before practice, before he ever stretched. Because the first thing you did when you got out there was you started doing up-downs. Because he said, you don't, you know, you never play in a game fresh, so we're not going to practice fresh. So we're going to get you tired before you ever start practice. So if he was in a good mood, we'd only do 10, and he would just blow a whistle for every one. You know, he goes, okay, get him up. And then he'd start blowing the whistle. And if he wasn't, if he was in a bad mood, I remember it seemed like we did 50. And it seemed like we went forever. I mean, we could hardly get up off the ground. And then we would stretch and then we'd start practice. So, yeah, it was a lot more intense. You know, you hit every day, pads were every day. You know, I, I don't, I can't remember in those 22 practices, I think we might have had one non padded practice. Everything else was a padded practice. Fans, if you don't know what an up-down is, like the closest I can come to is if you, you would do what they call uh, in fitness circles a burpee, which is but, – but in an up-down, when the coach blows the whistle, you start to run in place. And then when he blows the whistle again, 
you you dive to the ground, get all your chest and your whole body on the ground, then push yourself back up and run in place again until the whistle blows again. So if, if you want to know a little bit about it, go out in the go out in the park and do it by yourself one time. And I'm going to tell you something. This this was back before you practiced, and the legendary Vince Lombardi was the man we can thank for that. All of us of a certain age who remember doing up downs in in football practice. Robin, you go to the Seahawks, and the Seahawks were an expansion team at that time, correct? Yes, it was, it was seven, 1976, and it was the first year of the expansion. So uh, the expansion teams were allowed more players in camp, and I'm not sure what the whole NFL limit. I know we had 120 players in camp, and I think the NFL was around 100 at that time, so we were given 20 extra players. And it was so crazy when I first got into camp there, and we had all these players and you know the depth chart and that that when they were making roster changes, because they were starting to, you know, weed guys. From the day I got there, they were, you know, changing guys in and out. I remember players, when you got taped, you'd put your number up on the uh, chalkboard as far as, you know, where you were in line. You know, there'd be like four or five numbers, and you put your number down there. The trainer would come by and erase your number and tell you to take your playbook and go see uh, the head coach because you're done. That's, that's how you found out if you got cut? Yeah, that's how they were cutting guys. Because, you know, as I said, there were so many guys in camp and they were bringing guys in and taking them out. And, you know, they were trying to put a team together and they really didn't have a base. And, you know, they had the expansion draft and they picked up some, you know, mostly uh, Mike Curtis was in that expansion draft, uh, Ken Geddes. Uh, I was backing up Norm Evans, who had played for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Ahmad Rashad was on the team at that time. You know, there were a lot of older veterans that got you know, were, uh, they picked up in the expansion draft. So they were trying to fill in and find the best available talent to fill in around that. All right. Now, give me the real goods because Mike Curtis and fans, if you if you are too young to know who Mike Curtis was, go ahead and get on YouTube and Google him because there is some classic footage on NFL films of Curtis played linebacker in his best years with the Baltimore Colts. And was he truly as nuts as he was portrayed? He was. I'll tell you what, you know, I was an offensive lineman. He scared the hell out of me. You know, <laughs> I mean, he would just, he would look at you and his air eyes would just glare at you. And he was really a nice, great guy once you got to know him. But he'd get out on that field and he would look at you and you're like, I don't know if I really want to block him. You know, and he would really challenge you in practice. He would. He'd say, you're going to block me? Really? You know, he wouldn't buckle his chin strap. And, it, you know, it was, a, it was a full speed drill. And you're supposed to block him. And he'd look at you and go, you ain't going to block me. You know, it just, he was, he was, he, and he was a good guy to be around. But, boy, when he was on the field, he was, you know, because everybody knew the stories about him. They knew how he was. And nobody wanted to snap on you. <laughs> That's amazing. Hey, the, your NFL career comes to an end. You get into the coaching business, and you have coached at some pretty amazing places. Long Beach State, University of Cincinnati. Then you head back west, and you go back to Washington State. You coach at Oregon, Oregon State, Iowa State. Right. What was your, what was your favorite stop along the way? You know, I'll tell you what, Jeff, I enjoyed all of them. Uh, 
you know, what's special going back to my alma mater, going back to Washington State, but it was a short time. You know, I went with Jim Walden and he was there. Uh, I get back there for a year and then he decides to take the Iowa State job. So I wind up having to leave. But going back there, we beat USC and Pullman for homecomings on the first time. I think it was 35 years since Washington State had beaten USC. So, you know, that was a special time and stuff uh, going there. You know, Iowa State, I spent seven years, and then that time there, we beat Oklahoma, we beat Nebraska, and, you know, there were always special moments. I still stay in touch with players from those those teams. Uh, you know, the Oregon, we had a lot of success. I was there twice, actually. It was funny, at Oregon, I actually uh, coached a lot of positions. My first year, I was the inside backer coach. My second year, I was a D-line coach, and I went to the Raiders for two and came back, and I was the tight end special teams coordinator for four years. So I really got a chance to work with a lot of different players and a lot of different positions, you know, when I was at Oregon and uh, at Oregon State, you know, I had a lot of, uh, you know, players I still stay in touch with and, you know, then going to Western Washington as a head coach. So, you know, it's hard to say what was my favorite because, you know, there were, you know, great things about every one of those. And there was never a place where I say I was just miserable you know, uh, coaching. That's what I enjoy doing. I always had good players and that I enjoyed coaching. All right. Now we're going to take a little trip down, uh, down the freeway from Corvallis and hit to Oakland, California. And you go work for the legendary Hall of Famer, mm -hmm. Al Davis. And what was it like? Because, you know, I had a chance to interview for the for a red job at the Raiders one time and just being in that building was incredible but what was it like to be a part of the Oakland Raiders you know it was really surreal because you know uh he was so much a part of putting the NFL together you know from being and he was a coach himself so it wasn't like you're dealing with an owner that made his money in real estate or some other business he was a football coach so, you know, you weren't going to, you know, BS him with anything. He wanted you to be very matter, uh, of fact, matter of fact. And really, I tell you what, I learned more things from him. I'm not saying it was easy working for him, but really, I, you learn a lot of football, just the way he looked at the game, the way he looked at personnel. Um, you know, he had his scheme ideas that, you know, and nobody ever uh, totally agrees with anybody's scheme. Everybody's got a better way of doing it anyhow. But the whole experience, I got to say, I learned, you know, as much football in those two years that I have, you know, my 45 plus year career of coaching. And I think every year, you know, football is an evolving sport and you're in coaching. I think you're always evolving and you learn as much from the players as I think the players ever learned from you. So, you know, that whole Raider experience, you know, with, you know, John Gruden and, you know, my on the defensive staff originally was Willie Shaw and then. Um, our secondary coach was Chuck Bresnahan and, uh, you know, Mike Waffle was our defensive line coach and just working with him. It was, uh, you know, it was a great experience. And like I said, you know, I think I learned, uh, I learned a lot of football and, you know, we had some good teams back then, you know, and, uh, the first year I was there in 99, we wound up, uh, we went eight and eight and missed the playoffs. And you might remember this one we were playing. It was uh, Y2K. It was right after the 2000 <laughs> and we played in Kansas city and we go into overtime and 
We kick a field goal in overtime to win the game, and John takes off running around the field, you know, like we just won the Super Bowl or something. And I found out later that they said that, well, you probably would have lost your job if you hadn't won that game. Because John was on a two-year – I was there the second year of his contract, and that was uh, year two, and he had an option on it. So it was a two-year with an option. So I heard that later on about it. So, uh, But uh, then the second year, uh, they made some changes on the defensive staff. Chuck Bresnahan became our defensive coordinator, brought in Ron Lynn as our secondary coach, and, you know, really uh, had a real good team, went 12-4. and four. And, you know, we went uh, we went to the AFC championship and eventually lost to the Super Bowl champ, uh, you know, the, the Baltimore uh, Ravens. So, you know, it was a great experience as far as that. We had a, you know, we really had a good team. You know, uh, Rich Gannon, you know, uh, got there, I think, right after I did. Once, uh, once I got there, they were still, you know, putting the team together and things. And uh, Rich Gannon came in. I'd known Tim Brown from working one of his camps before he was there. The linebackers I had, Greg Beekard, was as solid of a pro linebacker as you ever want to see. And we had some really good people with it, you know. And I know I saw one of the uh, up here talking about how dysfunctional it was. You know, I don't know if it was totally dysfunctional, but it was the kid in the locker room, right? And I think, you know, John did a great job, you know, and the personnel people of getting our locker room right now. We had some guys that were a little bit out on the fringe, but we had the Rich Gannons, we had the Greg Beekards, uh, we had the Tim Browns, and they really set the tone for, you know, what kind of team we were. I think that's what took us to the championship, you know, the AFC championship. And really, if Rich hadn't got hurt, I would have liked our chances to get to the Super Bowl and win that. Hey, now, um, when people talk about Mr. Davis and they mention, like you said, how everybody that I know of that's worked for him all say the same thing. He was a football guy through and through. Watched practice film every day, could critique every position, knew exactly what he wanted personnel. When he looked at players, Robin, what was the first thing Al Davis looked for in a player? It was speed. You know, he had a, there were a lot of things he really looked for, but speed was the ultimate thing that he really looked for. If you notice him at uh, when he would go to the NFL Combine, he would sit at the start of the 40 the whole time because he wanted to see guys run the 40. And he would take their, their Combine 40 time. And we actually had a conversion where from the, the NFL Combine – 40 time to what they ran on campus or if it was converted to grass so everything was converted because the afc west was all grass except for uh seattle at that time so he had everything converted to a grass time which is like a half a tenth on the on the 40 so his his whole thing was really it was speed and the 40 times were big he was really big also on hand side he would not draft players with small hands. He, he always said the greatest football players that have ever played the game all had big hands. You know, and that goes for a lot of positions, you know, the offensive line, defensive line, uh, wide receivers, quarterbacks, you know. So it was interesting the way, you know, because he had so much history of the game and just knowing the game so well. Um, now, 
Oakland Alameda Collin Coliseum, where you guys played, still had a baseball field there because the <laughs> excuse me, Oakland A's used the, used the same field, correct? Right, right. Okay, so tell me about the black hole. How did that happen? How did all that stuff come to be? You know, the black hole was great. I tell you, if you are a Raider coach or a Raider player, it is. There's no better day than game day at Oakland Coliseum. You know, they tailgated. They it was like Halloween every Sunday. You know, they had their, <laughs> and we knew all these guys. You know, like the one guy that had the you know the spikes on his shoulder pads and stuff, and the alien, and you know. These guys were all true to life characters, and we would have functions like afterwards at the a hotel by there, and they'd show up in that, and you know, have a beer with the team, and you know, you really got to know them. And everywhere you went, we'd be in New Orleans, and they'd be there in the lobby. You know, we'd go to Green Bay, and they'd be there in the lobby. So the fans were awesome, and the black hole. I tell you what, it was really it was intimidating when you went in. You know, the attendance. I remember the first year I was there, it didn't seem like we sold out a whole lot. And then the second year when we got rolling, you know, and started winning a lot of games and we won the, you know, the Western uh, division of the, you know, the American football conference. And, you know, it was so, uh, there were so many people, it, that thing was loud and it was intimidating because you couldn't hear anything in the black hole. I mean, literally, if your offense was trying to make a play call down there, you can count on they're going to jump off sides because there you could not hear a thing. It was so loud down there, and you had everybody dressed up. <laughs> you know, they have come to London and played, and Rilla Gorilla and all those characters that you're talking about. Those guys made the trip over to London and were right. full. They were full costume for the game. It was the craziest thing oh. I've ever seen. Oh, like I said, it was Halloween every Sunday. You know, you go through the parking lot. My wife just loved, she loved to just be in the parking lot and watch all the people, you know, because they are, they're bigger than life there. And, you know, I uh, get dropped off for the game and she'd bring the car back later on. And I mean, you just go through the parking lot and the crowd and, you know, being on the sideline. What was amazing is just all the people that, you know, you'd see on a sideline. I remember one day coming off after pregame warm-up, and I walked by, and there's Carlos Santana standing on the sideline, you know, just watching pregame. <laughs> it was like, wow. And the legend Raiders were always around. You know, Jim Plunkett was doing the radio. Uh, Ted Hendricks uh, would go on trips with us. You know, so it's really, you know, Jim Otto was, uh, he was working for the organization at that time, you know, on the staff with Willie Brown and Freddie Bolitnikoff. So, you know, you had so much tradition and so much uh, of the Raider family was all there from, you know, the old, uh, you know, American Football League. Jeff, I just lost your voice. This this had to happen. I'm I'm, I'm joking. Uh, Jeff, go in and come out again, and we will uh, we will see the crack. Just just come in and come out again. I'm sure your audio will work. There it might be your battery or something, but uh, I'll bring him back in if he behaves. It's all good. And um, obviously, Robin, great to hear from you so far as well. There's a few people uh, that are asking some questions. Uh, uh, Ricky saying hello. Fred saying hello. Fred saying um, he's asking. You know, did you find times where the locker room? is 
what, what was the what, what was the camaraderie like in the locker room uh, in Oakland? You know, I tell you what, like I was saying, the locker room was really good because we had a good mix. You know, we had players that were, like I said, were a little bit out on the fringe, but we had some really good uh, pro players that, you know, really took charge of that locker room. You know, Rich Gannon was such a competitor. I remember uh, we had lost a game at Pittsburgh, actually, at uh uh back there and sitting with him in the airport and he was so frustrated by losing the game and just you know felt like you know everybody needed to do more you know and it was amazing how the locker room responded you know and and that was the thing you know it was just because uh you know and i believe in pro sports you know your locker room is key you got to have the right locker room and i really felt like you know we we had a good mix in the locker room. We, you know, you had your great players, but you also had your guys that were, you know, they were great players and athletes, but, you know, they kind of walked on the fringe a little bit and wanted to do their own thing. But, you know, on game day, everybody, you know, pulled it in and pulled it together. And really, you know, it it wound up being a real fun year. Robin, when, um, when you looked at the Raiders this year, you know, you went and saw them play live late in the season, I know. And, what was your take on just how far they've come from being a, a really bad football team a couple of years ago? You know, I think they're making good strides. I mean, I really do. You know, making the playoffs, you know, winning those games uh, down the home stretch, you know, I think they made, you know, some real good strides in it. And they look to where they were. They remind me a little bit of where they were the first year I was there where, you know, we didn't make the playoffs. We were an eight and eight team. We missed the playoffs by a game or whatever and stuff. And, you know, this year, you know, they made the playoffs. You know, I think that's a good scudar, you know. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, the quarterback, I think he's a real competitor. You know, I've seen him since he was at Fresno State. And I still think he's, you know, he's got the ability to be a elite quarterback. I think, you know, they need to keep building the roster and, you know, obviously it starts up front with their lines, but I tell you, you know, Max Crosby the other day, I mean, you know, he was a dominant defensive lineman, you know, which is what you need. So, I mean, I think they're going in the right direction. It'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, just what they do as far as, you know, changes they will make, at which, you know, there's always going to be changes. Even the year we went from my year one to year two, we had, you know, oh, I think three coaching changes in it. So it'll be interesting to see the direction they go. Uh, I think, you know, Mark is, uh, they're getting settled in Las Vegas and, you know, the Raiders draw wherever they are. That's the one thing I noticed, you know, it didn't matter where we played. We always had Raider fans. You know, the hotel was always a Raider hotel. It didn't matter where we played. It was always like that. And I think that's really true now with, you know, the, the Vegas identity, you know, starting to come alive and getting a chance to have full stadiums this year for the first time, you know, in, uh, in Las Vegas. So, you know, I think they're on the, you know, the right trend, you know, hopefully they can continue to, uh, you know, improve and, you know, move forward and, you know, uh, get that. But, you know, they got a tough division too, you know, that they're playing in in the, uh, you know, the AFC West. There's some great rivalries in that AFC West. You know, you know, I thought for all of the things that he had to go through when, you know, and, and in coaching, it's crazy because you never, you may never get an opportunity and you can never predict when your opportunity is going to come or what, how it's going to be presented to you. But Rich Biasaccia did a phenomenal job, I think, when you look at all of the stuff 
that he had to endure and that team had to endure to to have a chance to even play to get into the playoffs against the you know against the old AFL rival in the Chargers and to be able to pull that off and then go to Cincinnati and have a chance to win the game at the end of the game. I, you know, I don't know what else the guy's got to do to, I hope, I hope he gets an opportunity to keep his job. Yeah, I do too. You know, you talk about from all the, the turmoil that they came out of, you know, when the whole thing, uh, you know, when John re- resigned and that and pulling the team together and getting them focused. And like you said, competing to get themselves into the playoffs. And winning that last game, I mean, that San Diego game was a great game to watch, you know. And so I think there's a lot of key ingredients there. And like you said, who knows what's going to happen? You know, I think Richard definitely deserves, you know, uh, a chance to, you know, you'd like to see him coach that team and keep it together to see where it can go. I think, you know, sometimes in pro sports you see it where they make decisions, you know, that seem kind of short-sighted and not looking at the long-term uh, situation of it. Because, you know, Jeff, as you and I know, when, you know, when a team changes over, there's a lot of pieces to change, you know. I mean, nothing's the same. Chemistry changes. Coaches change. Players change. Uh, administrators change. And all those, all those things, you know, disrupt the flow of how business is going. So, um, you know, I, I think Rizzi definitely deserves because they show that, you know, they were on the right track. They're moving in the right direction. And, you know, there's a lot of teams that, you know, didn't make the playoffs this year. That would be, <laughs> they'd love to say, hey, we made the playoffs. Oh, we lost the first round, but we made the playoffs because there's a lot of teams yeah. that didn't this year. Yeah. Hey, now, as a guy that played the game at, at the NFL level and coached the game at the NFL level, what was your biggest takeaway from, from the wild card weekend that we had just had? You know, I think it's interesting is the expanded wild card. You know, I saw an article talking about, you know, the blowout games and the, you know, the non-competitive games and things like that. And when you start thinking about it, well, you're letting more teams in. So, and those teams, you know, you only have the one first round by, but you got teams that are, you know, a little bit more, you know, they're having, you know, marginal years or whatever, just over 500 playing a really good team. And I think you see a little bit of that of, you know, maybe by opening up the field, you know, they talk about in college football, well, where do you want to expand the field past four? Because, the you know, the semifinal games were blowouts anyhow, but it's it still gives you the opportunity, I think, when you expand the, the playoff system to really see who is the best football team, you know, uh, in the NFL right now. And I think we'll see that at the end of this because, you know, there's only, you know, the two teams get the first round by. And it's always funny, Jeff, too, coming off the first round by. As you know, you know, even with up in Canada when we do it, there's when you didn't play and you watch everybody else playing, that you're not really sure how you're going to respond from that off week. Yeah. You know, you're yeah. going to come out, you still have that edge you had when you left the season, or, you know, they just played a game, they just won a game, and now you're – you know, and you've been sitting around. So, you know, I think it's always interesting when you come off that bye week as far as, you know, is it an advantage or a disadvantage? And I think it's probably, you know, the healthier team and, you know, how you go into that bye week. Yeah, it's, it's, that is certainly a crapshoot at best. And it, a lot depends on your leadership and your experience and all those other factors. Mike, come on out here.
Where did my man Michael go? There he is. You, How about you caught me off guard there? Huh? <laughs> you caught me off guard. Sorry, guys. How's it going? Good. Hey, uh, any throw a question at us before we before we let Robin go. Robin, I took a bunch of your time. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Enjoy this. Uh, we've got David, who is in Glasgow, asking, have you any fun stories that you maybe haven't told anybody before but from, from the locker room? <laughs> um, you know, it was interesting, kind of a, a funny story is when I first got hired at the Raiders, I'm the linebacker coach. And the first time you really have a lot of interaction is during the draft meetings. So you go to the combine, you know, you, you meet everybody, you have your dinners and things. And then we're sitting in a draft meeting and Mr. Davis, he was really big on the senior bowl because it was all about talent playing talent he wanted to see the best versus the best so in the senior bowl puts the best players in college coming out and puts them against each other so we would watch inside run we would watch skelly we would watch all the scrimmages we would watch the senior bowl over and over and over again so i'm in the first meeting you know and so we're kind of laying out what we're looking at at the draft who we want to draft and all these things and you have the whole organization in there I mean, you got the owner, you got all the scouts, you got player personnel, you got pro personnel, and you got all the coaches sitting in there. So there's about 40 of us all sitting in there. So we're watching the uh, inside run from the senior bowl practice. And uh, all of a sudden, Mr. Davis, he says, Robin, tell me what you tell your outside linebacker when the ball goes away from him. And I said, well, he's got counter reverse bootleg, and then he takes a pursuit angle to the football. He goes, no, he has the red light. I said, okay, he has the red light. <laughs> so what, then, what was that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, you know, so you're sitting there, you know, okay, answer the question. So then next play comes up, they run a lead at the inside linebacker. And he says, Robin, what do you tell your inside linebacker when you fullback lead blocks on him? Said, Mr. Davis, we take him through the V of the neck and we uh, play him, we take him in the backfield and we turn him to the to where our help is inside or outside. He says, no, we take him through the face. And I'm going V of the neck through the face. Okay, I'm not gonna argue that point. So he says, because when I'm talking to him and you're talking to him, we're saying the same thing. You know what, that is genius. Because one of the challenges, Mike, this is really this is really high level football stuff. Because one of the challenges is football is not that complex a game, right? But the language around football is ridiculous. Because you may be playing for the Raiders and you say through the face, and you may be playing for the Seahawks and you say through the V of the neck, and you're talking about a difference of two inches. Right. And that's what that's what drives players crazy when they change teams is it might be a hook route for the Seahawks and it's a stop route for the Raiders and a curl route for, you know, for Jacksonville. But it's the same play. I mean, it's just the, the, the language around the game is, is so, so crazy. Robin, it's been a blast having you with us and giving our, our viewers a chance to throw a question at you. Um, Give me your prediction for tonight and how you see this 
game because it's a crazy one. The Cardinals are outstanding on the road, terrible at home. The Rams are inconsistent, and now it's in SoFi, in a you know in a you know you either win or you go home kind of game. How do you see the game tonight? You know, being from LA, I got to be. You know, I grew up being a Ram fan, so I I've got to go with the Rams. But like you said, you know, playoff football, anything can happen. You know, uh, the Cardinals have struggled a little bit, you know, uh, towards the end of the season. But you don't know what Ram team's going to show up. You know, Matt Stafford, you know, uh, if he doesn't throw interceptions, I mean, he's a quality quarterback. You know, he can make a lot of throws and make a lot of plays. So, you know, it should be a good game, I would think. Um, but, uh, like I said, I got to go with just because of the hometown, I got to go with the Rams, you know, and I think it'll be interesting to see how the defenses, you know, you always talk about the offenses, you know, how they're going to do, but I think this is going to really come down to which defense, you know, can you hold, uh, you know, Tyler Murray down? Can you keep him contained, have a good game plan against him? Uh, I think that's going to be huge for the Rams. If they can do that. You know, I think they'll eventually, uh, you know, score some points because Stafford, you know, they've got a lot of talent there. And Cooper Cup is catching the ball and making plays all over the field. So, you know, I think it should be a good game. It'll be interesting because, you know, these teams have played each other twice already. But, uh, you know, it, it should be a good playoff game. I appreciate it, my man. That's Robin Ross, ex-Oakland Raider linebacker coach. One of the really good guys in the coaching business. Thanks for coming on the show, Robin. Thank you. All right. All right. Thanks, Robin. All right, Thanks Michael. Robin, for coming on. Yep. That was awesome. Hey, uh, what do we got from our fans out there, from the tribe out there? <clears throat> There's a lot. There's a lot. Hit them. Hit them. Uh, Let's go. Right. So, Sean, Sean Meenahan, who I'm just going to pronounce, I'm just going to pre- presume he's from Ireland, says, Last night's top wasn't as jazzy as his shirt on Saturday night, Coach. Um, I think he means like your shirt, your 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 top, like the, your t-shirt wasn't as jazzy. Can, can I just say very quickly, Neil Reynolds' shirt on Saturday night, yeah, was in that same territory that people were talking about two, two or three weeks ago. You know the uh, the it, it, I thought it was fantastic, but the design it, it was nice. It was jazzy. Yeah, I thought Neil. I think Neil's taking a step up sartorially. He's he's you know. <laughs> Mrs. Reynolds must be dressing him. He's done it. Oh, I, I thought he's done a good job. There's so many comments here. For I, I Kevin Fippen says, I think the Rams are going to win tonight. But it'll be very, very close. Sporting rights. He's taking the Cardinals all tonight. Uh, all the way. Thinks LA are lucky to have made it. Super Tom is taking LA. Lloyd's taking the Rams. Arizona have fallen off a cliff with no D. Hopkins. Daniel in the UK. Arizona the win by 17. Three Stafford interceptions and two rushing touchdowns for James Conner. One touchdown for uh, anyone. Uh, Rams will get a consolation. One touchdown for Cooper Cup. Kev in England. Uh, Arizona due to putting pressure on Stafford. Uh, forced mistakes. And Draper's Toshi, who I think is in Ireland. Arizona, so the 49ers can get revenge and beat them in the NFC Championship game. In terms of questions, Jeff, we've we've got a few. We've got a few. We've got some on the chat for a start. Uh, evening to Fred Flunk. He is fuming over McCarthy's mm. show. Now, to be fair, that's not a swear word in Ireland, so I have to put it on the screen. He's not happy after last night. You know what, Fred? Uh, I, I, and, and I think Cowboy, there is so much unrest in Cowboy Nation right now because the frustration that they must feel having such a good football team on paper and playing the way that they played in a big game in your own stadium. 
14 penalties, 14 penalties. And I know Noel Gallimore has come out and said, if you put it all on me, it was my fault. I let the Cowboy Nation down. But, you know, he's concerned for his family's health because apparently the it's the fans have gone unruly in Dallas. And, um, you know, in a, in a way they have a, they have a right. There's no way that they should have lost that football game. And everybody wants to talk about the last call and the execution of the last call. But there's a lot of calls along the way that, you know, you could go on either side and say, you know, that's a good call or that's not a good call. But that's football. But you got to make the plays. But you can't beat yourself. And penalties is the first way you beat yourself. How's the... Uh... How's the head, Jeff? It's been a very tiring few days. I fell asleep during the Steelers game, so I don't know how you stood there for 12 hours. And I mean that in a positive way, in a caring way. How are you doing it? Like, how are you, Neil? I mean, at least Baldy's in, uh, in Florida, yeah? So, I mean, at least... Yeah, he's in Florida, but, you know, it's coffee and it's watching the game and trying to stay in the game as if you were coaching the game or, you know, put yourself in that mindset, situational mindset. But I thought they were really, you know, other than, obviously, the Steelers, Interesting, wasn't it, watching the Steeler game, how when Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator, was calling the play, mm. they couldn't move all the length of their arm. And then they got into no huddle, and Ben took over on the line of scrimmage and called everything from the line of scrimmage, and they moved the ball effectively. I know Kansas City played a little more vanilla during that, but that's what happens when you go no huddle. They can't get all the blitzes called and all that stuff. So um, that was interesting to me because – you know, the Steeler offense probably was a little better this year than what we show, you know, what we were shown, particularly the last couple of weeks. They were miserable in the first half of that game last night. TJ Watt had us all scary biscuits for a good 20 minutes as well. It, it, that, that was very interesting. And if Kansas City start the game next week against the Bills like that, oof, we could be in for a classic. I think I think I actually think now I know he says every year. I think next next week could be unbelievable, Jeff. And you know what? There was a couple of blowouts this weekend. That 49ers Dallas game was for neutral was was fantastic to watch. I mean, it just yeah. didn't stop. And um, there's a load of different things here. So uh Owen Thomas is saying, Do you have a sofa to sell? I mean, I'm presuming you just sit down and watch the game whenever you go off camera. Yeah, you go down and Yeah, we there's a little there's a little area where you can go over and watch the game on the Run. big monitor, but you know, <laughs> it'd be tough to have to stand there for 14 hours. Whatever that was yesterday. We've got Steve Tasker coming up here. Who, who have you got tonight? Rams or Cardinals? Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I, I think the Rams will win the game. But, you know, it's interesting. The Cardinals are, are I think, I think they've only lost once on the road all season. And this is an on-the-road game. These teams split. Each team won in the other team's house. Um, hmm. I've got two two X players playing on the Cardinal side, so I'd like to see those guys continue to play. The biggest joy I get out of coaching is when you see guys that you've had an opportunity to work with uh, stand underneath the confetti. You know that that's pretty cool. And still got about I, I don't know six or seven or go guys still playing in the playoffs that I've coached in the past. So I always root for those guys. Uh, you know I'm a McVeigh fan. I'd like to see him get a team back to the Super Bowl. I'd like to see Matt Stafford at the end of his career have a chance to, you know, do the same thing. But I think it's going to be a hell of a game. I mean, I think it's going to be a great football game, and I'm looking forward to calling it tonight on Sky. So, um, we're gonna, Jeff. Hey, I'll be there. Don't you worry about that. Any more questions? And and then then let's go to, to yes, Steve Tasker. Yes, sir. 
Uh, yeah, we've got a we've got a couple of ones here. Let's make sure we have the right one. Sorry, Jeff. It's been a it's been a busy few days. Uh, Stuart Dixon thinks the Bills are going to win the Super Bowl. Uh, bop, 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 bop. This I think this one was for coach for for the for the other coach, but uh, Fred saying. Does it not shine a light on how poorly run the Raiders front offices under Mark Davis? So I guess he meant in comparison to now or, or in comparison, comparison to... Um, that must have been a question from previously. Do you want to comment on that, Jeff? Or, or, or yeah, you know what's interesting anything? about that is they, they had a... You know, they got rid of a bunch of front office people right before this season started. And, you know, there was a lot of controversy swirling around that. I think what Robin said was true. I think Mark Davis is starting to get his feet up underneath him and feeling himself as, you know, he's, he's you can't understand. Like I, when I went in to, to interview at Oakland, Mr. Davis's shadow was so large and so long, and it was over everything in that building. And then all of a sudden, even though it's been, what, probably 10 years since he's been with us, you know, it takes a long time for all of that influence and all of that, you know, shadow to get off of Mark. And, you know, is his son, he carries his name. It's, it's been tough for him, I'm sure, in a lot of ways. And my understanding is, is he's now starting to feel himself more confident as an owner and as the leader of the team. So, you know, I think that's my take, if you will, on, on the Raider front office. Exciting time for the Raiders as well. Next year, sort of getting more into Vegas, and it'll be interesting to see how they get on in that new stadium for another year, for third year in Vegas. Um, Jeff, just before we, we, we put Steve Tasker on, I want to tell you about my strategy for tonight. My What's game that? strategy. Sky, record, 1 a.m. Go to bed at half <laughs> Wake up at 6.15. Airplane mode, Wi-Fi off, Bluetooth off, alarm on, 6.15, tea, toast, Duvet, blanket, glasses, put the game on. Fast forward. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to I'm really I'm gonna have to fast forward for your analysis. Now I feel bad. I'm not gonna know what the score is. I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna relax. I'm gonna be fresh as a daisy, please God. And uh yeah, I'm I'm taking the Rams. I was really set on taking the Cardinals, you know, for the last couple of days. There's there's some there's a lot of Cardinals fans in Ireland. I don't know why, but uh good team this year, obviously. But I'm taking the Rams. Big pressure to, tonight on McVay. Like this team have to get to the Super Bowl in LA. Well, they paid. Cronky I mean, won't take any excuses. I, I tell you what, Les Need's gone all in. They've done everything that you you could need. They've gone after every player that that was available that could help them, and you know they've gone all in. And and you're right. This is now, you know, it, it's amazing coaching because what three years ago they're in the Super Bowl, and you know McVeigh is the hot young guy and all that. And he still is, but you know, there are going to be some questions asked about if they can't with this roster, if they can't get at least back to the game. So it's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting game. And enjoy the game tonight is you, you, Sean, Neil, Baldy, coffee, 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 coffee. With, this is coffee with coach tonight. I can't wait to watch this in the morning. And we laugh my head off. Uh, all right. All right. Hey, Want to bring in now, uh, and then and then we're going to say goodbye. But want to bring in yes, one of the really, really great special teams players that ever played in the NFL. I think he and Matthew Slater, maybe if they ever in, induct a, uh, a special teams player into the Hall of Fame, these would be guys that would go. And Steve has been a nominee a number of times uh, for a Hall of Fame spot. He played his college football at Northwestern, uh, was drafted by the Houston Oilers. 
and then was traded his first year to uh, the Buffalo Bills. And it was the perfect marriage because he played for a, a head coach by the name of Marv Levy, who really believed in special teams and gave him a lot of freedom and, and a lot of responsibility. And he performed amazingly over his career in Buffalo is, is a Bills legend, works for the Bills now in radio and is a uh, really uh, an outstanding person. So I'd like to introduce to you Steve Tasker. Jeff, good night. Uh, enjoy tonight. God bless tonight. It's going to be a long night, but for now, uh, folks, enjoy Steve Tasker. Thanks for everyone getting their comments in, uh, and see you soon, Jeff. All right. Aloha. Hey, Aloha. I want to introduce you to a legend, a Buffalo Bills and NFL legend, one of the greatest special teams players to ever line up and cover a punt or block a punt or do all the other things that the guy did in his career with the Buffalo Bills. Hall of Fame, NFL Hall of Fame nominee, Steve Tasker. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you, Jeff. It's awesome to see you. Hey, tell our people, because we've got folks all over the world that watch this thing, Bills fans around the world, give them just a little taste of what it was like in Buffalo this past weekend. Hard to imagine anything better than what it, the way it was. I've equated it to, you know, the year 30 years ago when we were went 51 to three against the Raiders in the AFC championship game. That's as close as I can think of. I mean, everything absolutely went perfectly for the Bills. They played fantastic football. Um, the crowd was absolutely off its rocker. Um, it was the first home playoff game the Bills had hosted since 1995 with fans in the stands. They had two last year, but there were only 6,000 people there. Saturday night, this last Saturday night, there were 68,000 people there. So it was an unbelievable night, uh, really unforgettable for a lot of Bills fans, particularly given the, the opponent that they faced in the Patriots. And to see Josh Allen throw what many people say just a perfect game um, was pretty special. Um, everybody was there. All, everybody turned out for that one, and it was, it was really good to see. It was a special night. You know, I grew up as a baseball kid because of my dad's job and, and a perfect game in baseball is the ultimate for a pitcher. And to play, and, and, and I don't know if there's ever been a perfect game by an NFL quarterback, but you're right. I think Josh Allen came about as close as you could get to perfection. Yeah, I mean, he had more touchdowns than incompletions. Um, <laughs> they, could not have, they could not have gained another yard offensively. Um, every time they got the ball, they went all the way to the tip for a touchdown. Uh, they never got stopped. They had six for, before they knelt down for a seventh time, a seventh third down. They were six of six on third down. The third downs were never more than third and four. They were hundred percent on third down conversions. Uh, you know, they didn't turn the football over. They didn't lose a fumble. Um, they just, he, he threw for 300 plus yards. Um, he's ended the game with 12 straight completions. Uh, yeah, it was just, it was an unbelievable performance. Um, the defense got a couple of in sensational turnovers. Every time the Bills offense stepped on the field, they went for a touchdown. It was unbelievable. I'm, I'm really, you, you, when you take it all in, it's pretty unbelievable the kind of night he had, Josh Allen. You know, I, Steve, when... <clears throat> I watched the game and, you know, we're obviously we're, we're broadcasting the game. And one of the things that struck me, and I've never seen this ever with a Patriot football team, but after 
the second touchdown, the body language of the Patriots completely changed. I mean, they were a vanquished team from the second quarter on. I said the same thing on our broadcast. Um, when Dawson Knox caught a second touchdown in the first quarter, um, the Patriots were deflated because they knew, you know, they've got, they've got Mac Jones and I'm sure they like Mac Jones and, and he's done some really good things for them, but they just, it looked like they had no faith that they were going to be able to get back in that game with a two touchdown deficit against, you know, the bills who would have the number one defense in the league. Uh, and you could feel it. And I know this too, later on in the second quarter, uh, Devin Singletary ran one in from 16 yards. I went up 20, they went up 26 to what turned out 26 to three or 26 to nothing. And couple of Patriot guys before he just as he was crossing the line the, the goal line play was still almost going on the guys were they were jogging off uh they'd had I mean they were just the, the body language was absolutely bad and they looked like a tired team did New England they looked tired um some guys said they were old and and a little slow uh to me even their young players looked slow and and looked exhausted it looked like they just were spent early in that game and I, I don't know whether it was the fact that they didn't have any faith or, you know, they just were tired. I don't know, but you're right. I had never seen a Patriots team uh, perform as poorly as the one did last Saturday night. You know, the, the place that nobody talks about the Bills, and obviously you watch them every day in practice, you go to every, you know, you're involved in every game, you're a guy that's played the game at the highest level, but the offensive line performed, I mean, for a patch patchwork group of guys, and really, if there's a, if there's a place on that football team where you question, okay, are they good enough? The first thing you would say is, do, can they run the ball well enough, right? If you get into a game where you have to run the football, and I thought Singletary obviously was fantastic, but the offensive line, Steve, played really, really a good football game. Yeah, this offensive line was shuffled every week during the regular season virtually every week they had a different starting group there was never more than two weeks in a row where they had the same five guys on the field COVID injuries uh poor play they were shuffling guys in and out the entire season up until the second quarter of the second new england game in foxborough they got an injury to ike butker they inserted ryan bates at left guard and then that put Spencer Brown from left tackle over to right tackle, Daryl Williams down to the right guard, and put De Deion Dawkins, who is just fresh off the COVID list. They didn't even think he was going to play that game. They plugged him back in at his left tackle spot. Those five guys, since that moment, seem to have caught a little bit of lightning in a bottle. They have clicked. Uh, and now they've got like three or four weeks together uh, that there's, they've spent more time together than any combination of five guys all season. So now they feel like that's their guys and they're getting every rep and they're taking it and they're getting better and better. And I think that showed a little bit against the New England Patriots uh, in the wild card round. The fact that this is a group that's been together longer than any other five guys on the squad, any combination of five guys at that's those spots, they've got more reps than anybody. So now they're starting to feel a little bit better and come together. And I, no question it showed through against the Patriots. All right, you and I are teammates. We have a huge win. All right, but you know as well as I do, the first thing we've got to do now is enjoy it for 24, flush it, and let's move on. So let's talk about the Kansas City Chiefs and what could be, you know, a de facto Super Bowl matchup, if you really want want to say. It's much like those old 49er cowboy rivalries in the in the 80s in the NFC. 
this could be the the Super Bowl match for the for the Bills on the road in Kansas City. Yeah, and there's not not too many teams. You know, everybody was thinking you got to go through Kansas City to get to the Super Bowl. It's been that way since even when they were struggling early in the season. Uh, when they got it together, everybody knew okay they're going to be there at the end. And even before the season started, they were the favorites. I think the Bills may be the only team of the seven that made the playoffs, maybe the eight or nine that were eligible, you know, they had a shot at it in that last weekend. I think the Bills are the only team that would look forward to a shot at taking a swing at the Chiefs in Kansas City. Uh, they are fresh off that AFC championship loss, game loss at less than a year ago. They went back in there and they beat the Chiefs by more by a bigger margin than the Chiefs beat them in the AFC championship. Um, and they want to go in and get and get it back. Um, this, the Bills' defense is uh, a couple of steps ahead of where it was in last year's AFC Championship game. It's a much better defense this year than it was a year ago. Their offense is, has another year under its belt and is just as good as it was a year ago, if not better, particularly given the way they played this last Saturday night. So the Bills may be the only team, maybe the only team in the league, who wants a shot at it. Uh, well, you know, you look at them. Steve, you look at them, and, and they're built to play Kansas City. They're built to yeah. beat Kansas City. Yeah, they're built they to went out. Yeah, they went out, and they enhanced their pass rush. Boogie Basham and Rousseau and, you know, Epinesa made a couple mistakes in the game the other night. But, you know, they, they bolstered the pass rush. You got the two best safeties in the league as a combination, as a tandem. Obviously, you know, not having Tredavious White is going to be an issue, but they seem to be able to play through all that. You got the best cover linebacker in the league in Milano. So really, they're built to play the Chiefs, to match up against the Chiefs. Yeah, I absolutely. You're right. And that's what it looks like. They're gonna no question this offense is gonna have to continue to click. They're gonna have you're gonna have to score with those guys. Uh and it may be, and I'm thinking back to 2017 in the Monday night game when the Rams played the Chiefs out in LA in the Coliseum. Uh, it was like 55-51. You know, I mean, that's you kind of get the idea that these whoever has the ball last in this game coming up on uh, this weekend for the Bills and the Chiefs, whoever has the ball last can have a chance to win it. Um, you're really going to have to light it up to stay in this game. The Chiefs have shown they're impossible to stop down the red zone. They just get they're so creative with Mahomes, you know, being able to flip the ball forward on those all the shovel passes and the back passes and the you know Kelsey's throwing a, a touchdown pass, all of that stuff. They're really creative in the red zone. You're going to have to get a stop on them at some point uh, to win the game and or get turnovers. And the Bills are going to have to score when they get the ball. Um, but the Bills are up for it. I mean, I think this is a team in Buffalo that will relish the chance to take a swing at it. Um, there's no guarantees, obviously. The Chiefs are a fantastic football team. But I think the Bills, like I said, are the, really the only team, I think, in the tournament that won't flinch going into Kansas City. And they're going to, they're going to be looking for a chance to take a swing at the Chiefs. Well, I think it's going to be a fantastic football game. I appreciate you coming on with us today. As always, it's great to talk football with you. And again, um, I know you'll be an arrowhead rooting for your bills hard as possible. Yeah, man. Thanks. I appreciate it, Jeff. It's good talking to you, man. All right, Steve. Thank you very much. That's Steve Tasker, one of the greatest that ever played the game and, and an all-time Buffalo Bill. Took some time out to talk to the tribe today. Thank you, Steve. 